Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. And we're back with what I believe is our second ever Boulder gal on the podcast. Second? Marsha. Oh. Well, of course, there's some oh, debate on whether that counts as Boulder or not. It's not. <laughs> is Gun Barrel Boulder? No. Maybe not. Um, Laura Palmer joins us today. So, so fun story. Laura actually hit my radar when I was at a company called Petro DE, uh, very briefly, 2017, 2018. And Laura was the person who came in who knew all of the different systems. Like what does drilling info have? What does, what does RS energy have? What does well database look like? And then what is this kind of IHS plus Petro DE solution? And what does it offer? And was just, I mean, Tim, you have some of these, just the raving fan, like the reference, the person who brought the company into everywhere she went and just becomes like your favorite ally in the process. It's it's good to have that, that referenceable, referenceable uh, person to, take you in. It's great. Yeah. No. And, and mm-hmm. like she would come in and like educate the team, like, yeah, see, this is good. But so, what some other applications might do is this, you may want to consider doing that. So super knowledgeable right. on the technology side, but also I believe by training a, a geologist or, or an engineer, what, what is your background by training Laura? And, and then tell us how, a little bit about yourself. How dare you conflate those two? (laughs) 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 I am a, like, I'm a diehard geologist. I'm not just a geologist. Um, Actually, my whole family are geologists also. (laughs) So. All right. Let's, let me just put that to the test. Yeah. How many rocks have you licked to identify what they were? Well, I mean, do you eat salt every day? Well, okay. You (laughs) You know, the whole. Is it a silt stone? Let me run it How in my mouth. How technical should we go? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, I've licked a fair number of rocks in my day. Let's be honest. Yeah. No, I am a, I'm a geologist. I'm from Boulder, Colorado, which these guys have already referenced. Um, I grew up, you know, at the foot of the Flatirons, hiking and fishing and hunting. And we were a third generation Boulder family. So my family has been there for a really long time. Um, my uncle is an oil and gas geologist. And when I went to college, I was pre-med, actually. I started as pre-med. Um, and know, a year in or something, my uncle said, you should just try a geology class. I think you'd really like it. They're pretty fun. You get to go hiking. <laughs> so I took geology and I got to go hiking. And I actually got a B in rocks for jocks, which is just horrifically embarrassing. So <laughs> I never tell anybody that. But it's because it was at 8 a.m. and it was in this room and they would turn all the lights off and give the PowerPoint presents. I just couldn't stay awake. You know, it was college. I was like, oh my gosh, what are we doing in here? So went to CU Boulder for my undergraduate degree. Um, there for five years, I did have to victory lap. And then I started at WPX right out of undergrad. Um, my brother ended up being a geologist. I actually just had lunch with him. He is a postdoctorate degree from the um, School of Mines, PhD from School of Mines. Her PhD in geology from School of Mines. Her brother, my really good friends, is also a geologist. We were UT masters together. Like, I mean, we're talking everybody. My cousin, his wife, it's a whole thing. So And all your friends. friends. And literally everybody I know. I'm trying really hard to diversify. (laughs) It's really hard. Like geologists are just a different 
we're just a different breed of people. Like we think very differently. We think very creatively. Generally, some of us are more on the engineering side, but those engineering geologists, we never really talk to. We only talk to the fun ones. So where did you do your field camps? You know, what's interesting about CU Boulder is you don't actually have to do field camp to graduate. Yeah. So I actually instead had field courses, which were whole semester long field camps, which was amazing because instead of going out for six weeks at a time, you would do three day trips every, I don't know, couple weeks or something like that. So slightly different experience. I do feel like I don't, I also don't tell very many people that because that's just embarrassing. Um, geology <laughs> field camp is like, that's the whole thing. That's like, everybody has some field camp stories. And I'm like, well, I went to Moab and I did all this other stuff, but I didn't like have that six weeks in the wilderness kind of an experience. So I guess I'm just sort of a half geologist then. Uh. <laughs> that, this is a really good segue into the Bitcoin conversation. So, I mean, cool. connecting geologist with Bitcoin, to me, it seems a little bit of a stretch, but you obviously have sort of a business mindset. Mm-hmm. This past Friday, I was in Golden Mm-hmm. Because uh, Colin and the Davises uh, from mm-hmm. Digital Wildcatters came to town. I think Colin presented to like a senior level course um, of engineers at cool. School of Mines. And then mm-hmm. uh, a few of us met afterwards for a happy hour. And what, what struck me as very interesting is is every one of them is super interested in how natural gas can play into mm-hmm. Bitcoin yeah. mining which is different, right? I mean, 10 years ago, people were coming out and it's just your traditional path as a reservoir engineer and work your way up the ranks. And, you know, Tim's familiar with that. He's a reservoir engineer himself. But, oh, uh-oh. Yeah, oh, yeah, watch out. But I thought it was fascinating the way that people are thinking about how they're going to apply those degrees and just the curiosity around Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, uh, mm-hmm. and how this all plays together. So, Sure. Like I, I'm super curious about it, Tim. You probably are too. There's some buzz going on around this, and, and I'm There's curious. A like, lot of buzz. Yeah. What What's mm-hmm. Energy Funders doing? And and I mm-hmm. want to offer some of my thoughts and insights. But but Please. just give us the down low. Sure. Yeah. So actually, what's interesting is that I was just joined, asked to join the Friends and Alumni Network at UT, where I got my master's degree in geology. And they have asked me to help educate the students on alternative, basically alternative roles that a geologist can have in the industry. And of course, it's because I've just been blabbering about Bitcoin for months on my social media. Like I did trip over the Bitcoin into this situation. Um, I had been nice. running a company nice. called... I love how you got that You're in welcome. Thank you. <laughs> for the Bitcoin. I've learned a lot about marketing recently. <laughs> so I ran a company called Century Natural Resources, which was a private equity-backed exploration company that we were exploring for the Turner in the Powder River Basin. And we had a flaring issue. We needed to mitigate our flare. Um, a buddy of mine who has subsequently left and started his own Bitcoin mining company he and I had this conversation about, well, why don't we build a mine? And we tried to kind of figure out how to do it ourselves. And, you know, it was just going to be operationally more challenging than we were, than we really had the bandwidth to do. We were going to do Ethereum mining, actually. I have a buddy who's really big in Ethereum mining. So we're talking to people about it. And then we eventually landed on using Crusoe, who has been doing a lot of flare mitigation work in the Rockies. Yeah, so yeah. I see we had, a lot. Yeah, I think we had one of the first units our sister company that was also backed by the same private equity group had this unit and they were not using it. So they kind of lent it to us. We took it up to the PRB. I think we were one of the first people up there, if not the first to be mining Bitcoin on our well site. However, 
the revenue model for it was not favorable for us. We wanted to do a revenue share. And at that time, Crusoe really had a lock on that, you know, that whole area. So it wasn't awesome. Um, it was cool what they were doing, but I really recognized the value of Bitcoin and had been listening to um, my former business partner, Justin, who started J Energy. We've been talking about it a ton. And so I kind of like locked in on the Bitcoin thing and it became a whole, you know, a side focus for me. I just sort of paid attention to it. Um, knew it was really important, knew I wanted to do the revenue sharing thing, but didn't quite understand how to connect my oil and gas experience with that unless I had access to gas because the best way to make superior economics is to verticalize the entire thing. I know verticalize is not a word, but you need to own the fuel in order to make it as like accessible as possible. So let me, let me, can, let me just go back. I want to do yeah. the whole, let's talk to the layman thing. Mm -hmm. Sure. Can we go back over what is Bitcoin mining as it relates to the oil and gas field? Physically, mm -hmm. what's happening and why yeah. is it, why is it on the hype curve right now? Why is, why are sure. some people talking about it right now? Yeah, yeah, let's go backwards. Um, I call it a digital pipeline. You know, like I said, the whole marketing thing at Energy Funders, we are actively, we have a fund that we have open where any accredited investor can invest in our natural gas powered off-grid Bitcoin mines. The thing that's interesting about it is that right now, you know, we're focused mostly on stranded gas. Um, you can focus on flare gas and have an ESG component. You can focus on stranded gas, um, which is just a value component, or you can add them to oil wells where you need to do things. It's, it's very interesting. But the point is, right now, if you are mining Bitcoin using, you know, the economics I'll have to check out, but you can make about four to 10 times more on your natural gas than you could from putting direct into pipeline. It depends on your cost of service model and all that, you know, takeaway capacity, et cetera, et cetera. But for example, on one of our wells, if we were to hook it to pipeline, we would be getting Henry Hub pricing. But instead, if you run the numbers and like do the calculations, and of course, there's a lot of assumptions on what Bitcoin price is going to do, but it's the exact same as predicting what oil price is going to do. So if you run that, you can go through it and see that the value is closer to 10x what you'd be getting from selling your gas at Hub. So, so what's happening on the field? Mm -hmm. We have gas being produced. And yeah. instead of putting in a pipeline, letting someone else burn it down the line. Mm -hmm. Yep. I guess We're you've using got, it. you're um, using sorry. it to generate electricity to run computers to do yep. mining. Solve the algorithm that finds you Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so yep. and apparently there's a higher margin in rather than sticking it in the pipeline and sending it down in some cases, in higher some margin cases. in putting it in the line and sending it mm -hmm. sending it away than uh, or mm -hmm. well, higher margin yeah. in keeping it and using it to mine Bitcoin. Yeah. So our like let's call it the time, the dollar value for net gas, where we would turn the Bitcoin mine off and turn the gas pipeline on, it's about $15 in MCF. Okay. So up until $15 in MCF, we'll continue to mine at least as long as prices hold in on the Bitcoin side. Once we hit 15 in MCF, we would consider, you know, we would rerun those models and consider like flipping the switch over to another, you know, whichever one we're not using. Really neat. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, there's a couple people... You know, in oil and gas, this is becoming more of a thing. Uh, I've been attending these Houston Bitcoin meetups for several months now, and it's been really interesting watching them. I missed the first one. There were like 25 people. I went to the second one. There were like 100 people. Most recent one, there were like 200 people. This next one's going to be 500. You know, it's like exponentially growing. And the interest level is fascinating. You know, I know that 
there's a lot of majors who are actually starting to play in the space as well. Um, you know, it's it's turning into a whole thing. What's problematic about that is that it's caused a lot of, you know, the supply chain was already totally effed, but now you have a supply chain issue and a demand issue and everybody wants these computers and all this stuff. So you're having to figure out ways of navigating this whole world, which is very complicated and very international, which is why most oil and gas people are pretty comfortable with it. We're already used to huge infrastructure projects. We're used to having to work with international, you know, uh, compatriots, things like that. Um, so it's it's a really good fit for oil and gas. And effectively, Bitcoin is a, yeah, I kind of think of it as like um, a way to trade energy, right? It's just a store of energy. It's just like if you made a, let's say, <laughs> a piece of currency that was backed by the U.S. dollar for, or sorry, the gold gold standard, for example, and then you, you know, Delink those things. You still have to ascribe value to something. Right now, what we're ascribing value to is energy, which I really like. I mean, that's a perfect fit for the oil and gas industry as well. So there's a lot of really beneficial things about what what's happening in oil and gas and Bitcoin. And I, I'm personally extremely excited to be a part of it. I, I buy into the Bitcoin thing. I'm a I'm a hodler. So <laughs> one of the things, that, one of the things that I was when I first heard about the Bitcoin mining was thinking about. Okay, you've got stranded gas, maybe up in in the Bakken or somewhere like that. That's it's either going to be flared yeah. or reinjected, or basically mm -hmm. has no value because there's no way to kind of take it away. Correct. And so, okay, well, if we're going to flare it anyway, and, mm -hmm. which is burning it on site effectively, mm -hmm. why don't we just make electricity and use it to mine Bitcoin? That's the way it was kind of introduced to me. But I guess mm -hmm. what I'm hearing from you is, okay, there is a when do we want to mine and when do we want yeah. to sell the gas. Yeah, there's a guy who I've talked to quite a bit, um, Max Gagliardi. He works over at Ancova, and he and I had a conversation a number of months ago, maybe like six months ago now at this point, where we talked about the value of, you know, turning the pipeline on and off. And so I think that, you know, he's walked down that path quite a bit more than I have. You know, I've been really singularly focused on this energy funders goal, which is basically democratizing primarily oil and gas investing, but now secondarily, since I've come in, investing in Bitcoin mines. Because the value, the cost to mine a Bitcoin at our well sites is about ten to twelve thousand dollars per Bitcoin. That's literally a sixth of what we hit at our all-time high. So, like, yep. if you can directly invest in these mines, which almost no one can, you can make a significant amount of money. And so, the whole point of Bitcoin is to be for the people, right? Like, eventually, the whole point of it is to decrease, you know, inflationary risk and all those sorts of things, but also for anybody to be able to participate in. The problem is that's not a reality until, you know, there's another group called Compass Mining that's offering mining hosting. So you can buy a miner and they'll plug it into one of their sites. But those miners are, you know, I guess spot price yesterday was probably close to $15,000 for the highest end mines. So at Energy Funders, my whole pitch has been, look, we own the fuel source. We can do this very, very cheaply. I can offer it to a creds for a $5,000 minimum buy-in. And so anybody realistically can be a part of a Bitcoin mine and has that opportunity to provide value in long-term, you know, um, <laughs> ostensibly it's going to continue to rise and rise and rise. You get that value for yourself and your family. I, I mean, I'm, I was already enthusiastic about the energy funders kind of plan, but when I came in and said, we need to do this also, it's just been a total game changer. I'm trying to start um, a regulatory A fund next year, which is no, you don't have to be an accredited investor to invest with us, which means we could literally democratize Bitcoin, Bitcoin mine ownership. 
That would be amazing. Yeah. Imagine that. Like, I don't know. I think it's a really important thing what we're doing. I think it was important with the oil and gas part, but now that we've added this additional like store of value, I just I think it's huge for people. Yeah, this is, this is good stuff. So mm-hmm. I, I want to. You mentioned Ethereum very briefly, and I guess just yeah. to go back to my own cryptocurrency blockchain. Mm-hmm coin experience. I started getting FOMO, I think in 2016 or 2017 (laughs) and was hoping it wasn't too late, which it looked like it was for a little bit, right? right? It kind of sat for a few years, even to the point where I forgot my Coinbase login Mm -hmm. and had to go through like a very painful process, like resubmitting my license and it was a headache. Um, if, If you have it, keep logging into it. That's my suggestion. So anyways, I got back in in like November and just like bought a few more things and it's like totally skyrocketed since. But early on, it was like I had some Bitcoin, Litecoin and Ethereum. I didn't know the difference between any of them other than sort of like the market cap and the price point. I just wanted some exposure spread out. But you said you have a friend who's mining for Ethereum, ostensibly using the same practices that you are to mine for Bitcoin. What's the difference? How do you make that decision? Is it less expensive to mine Ethereum because it's a lower cost coin? Like, can you just give me some sense into like why Bitcoin versus anything else? Yeah. So for me, uh, on a personal level, it's because I believe in the proof of work model. But on a on a business level, it's because Bitcoin is being adopted at a much faster pace, and so for marketing purposes you know, people see the word Bitcoin and they're driven toward it. Right. And I also want to provide my investors the highest value, the easiest thing to get your hand on. I mean, they're not that easy to get your hands on right now, but the ASICs that mine Bitcoin, I thought, okay, here are my options. We do have one major investor who is very, very Ethereum excited, right? Right now we're really focused on the Bitcoin thing, just getting off the ground, getting hash rate on before the end of the year. I keep telling people all I want for Christmas is hash rate. And I'm pretty sure my family's going to murder me. (laughs) They're like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) So, but it was really a marketing thing for energy funders. And, you know, Bitcoin and the oil patch makes so much sense because, again, it is this store of energy. It's a store of value in the form of energy coin, you could basically call it. That's my big excitement about Bitcoin for for the business, at least. And I think... Okay, I'm I'm kind of dumb again. Hash rate? Oh, um, yeah. Is, like, oh, you. What the fuck is that? Yeah, hash rate. About? Hash rate is the speed at which it's effectively the speed at which your computer can solve the algorithm. Look, we need a what is a cryptocurrency for dummies, oh, yeah. right? Like I've tried to explain this. I sound like my dad when he tried to explain. My dad's like an he's a math guy. And when I was in high, middle school and high school, he tried to explain, you know, algebra or whatever to me. And he would be like, you don't know what an integral is. And I'd be like, God, how do you get so deep into something that you then can't explain it? <laughs> so <laughs> every time, I don't have time to go into all of that. Hash rate's easy. Yeah. Every time I talk about blockchain, I have to go back and reread. Okay. Remind me blockchain. So and I talked to my And for me, it's, I just don't use it day to day to mm-hmm. really understand it. I mean, I functionally understand, okay, I've got a yeah. Bitcoin. I want to trade it and someone's willing to pay me for this. That part I get. Yeah, right. The blockchain part I lose. It's but, tricky. It's yeah. tricky. So the way I called my CTO because you guys have listed, you know, explain these things in your pre-questionnaire. And I called my CTO, Piyush Prakash, who his business partner used to work for the people who developed Ethereum. 
And so he was an original dev on that project. So he's a good person to kind of chat with. If you guys want to talk to him, you're more than welcome. He has a great analogy though, which is, you know, blockchain is just a digital ledger. It's just you keeping track of who owns what and it's shared by the entire world and you're rewarded for keeping that ledger on your computer and solving that algorithm with Bitcoin. That's it. And then there's obviously the secondary component of Bitcoin, which is what is it going to do in the long run? You know, is this something that's going to end up being some sort of currency that we use? Is it just a, a value store? What, you know, what does it look like long term? Which is why then, you know, kind of the secondary trading of it. The, the blockchain uh, cryptocurrency ledger makes makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the coins that are involved going back and forth and basically creating a match where yeah. I think it could be of value, but both to just sort of the average individual as well as longer term is it is, it is still really annoying with banks. I have a consultant who does work for me in Calgary and there's no real easy way to pay them, right? Like I could see blockchain being the best way to do it because instead it gets sent to their bank and then I get hit right. with this fee and he gets hit with a fee and we both have to wait for the thing that it's, it's really annoying. Like mm-hmm. I wish I could have just thrown him some cryptocurrency or something to take this because I get the idea too, that, that just like the dollar, like the, Mm -hmm. the fluctuations always there, the dollar isn't just worth the same every single second of the day. It's actually always changing. So I think people buy into that um, from the the ledger. And I think how it applies to oil and gas in some capacity, Mm -hmm. Tim, if you think about all of the transactions that happen right in the field, that whole invoicing process, I could see that happening through a blockchain, like leveraging coins or currency of some kind. So actually, another energy funders plug here, we partnered with a group called T0. T0 is a, a wholly owned subsidiary of Overstock.com, and they are in the, they tokenize your securities. So one of their examples was the St. Regis in Austin. They had tokenized ownership, the cap stack of the St. Regis and sorry, in Aspen, yeah, they tokenized it and then provided a secondary opportunity, a trading platform for owners to trade in and out of it by tokenizing, building a blockchain of who owned what. And so it's immediate. You can trade in and out. For us, it's hugely beneficial because as long as there's a market, my investors can jump in and out as they wish. They can have liquidity immediately, whereas traditional funds like this, investment funds, you know, REITs and things like that, you typically have your cash held on to for you know, four plus years. So our fund life is shorter anyway, because I want to take advantage of the life cycle of, you know, oil and gas bull runs. But we also have this huge opportunity, which is to leverage our T0 um, to create the secondary trading opportunity for our investors. And, you know, there is the potential, especially with the crypto side of things, Bitcoin side of things, where, you know, all these public companies are trading at like a 20 to one multiple who are involved in Bitcoin or crypto. So we're very, very optimistic about the future using that. Um, it'll be available. You'll be able to trade in and out 90 days after we close our fund. So that's huge. I mean, technically, you could tokenize like every well in the United States. I've been spending a lot of time thinking about this shit, <laughs> maybe too much. And like you could literally go out and tokenize ownership. I mean, land landmen could be gone soon. <laughs> we don't need them anyway. But you know what I mean? You've had some good landmen that have come out here, but no, yeah. you're absolutely right. Because yeah. if you think about the fundamentals of an oil well, it is just a ledger, right? You've got working interest partners on both sides. You've got lease operating statements where it whittles down AFEs, where you're, you know how you're impacted with that ownership. If that could be streamlined and done digitally, 
I mean, Tim and I were trying to solve this, you know, a dozen years ago with AFE workflow, like your process oh, yeah. is the sneaker net. Now we put it on the internet. Okay. Now we digitize that tokenize yeah. it mm-hmm. and someone, you know, that visibility I think would be huge, especially in an industry yeah. like this where your assets are always remote. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I totally agree. It's a fascinating topic and there's a lot of people out trying to chase it. And of course, change management is a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, to get Aunt Sally to sign off on the point zero zero one working interest is always mm-hmm. kind of the challenge off in the distance. I, it'd be interesting to see how you can move the industry. And what we learned in our experience when Jeremy and I are working together about, of course, AFEs, which, again, I see the benefit of being able to do it through, mm-hmm. through the blockchain methodology. Yeah. You have to have someone on both sides agree. And that mm-hmm. was always the the trouble was... Mm-hmm. You could get the vision built here, but mm-hmm. the person who's receiving on the other end also has to participate. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, natural gas cars or, uh, you know, yeah. plug-in uh, electrics. You know, I'm, can't, I'm not buying a natural gas, a CNG car until I know yeah. I can get from here to Boulder if I'm driving. I'm from Richmond, Texas. Mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. drive and be able to fill up along the way. I'm, I'm just not going to get a CNG car. But right. if there's not enough CNG cars, there's not enough filling stations along the way. And, you know. And same thing with like trying to get these industry moves, like moving to blockchain for AFE management or invoice management mm-hmm. would be kind of a, yeah. it's, it's, it's an interesting problem to have, but maybe, yeah, but, you know, maybe the, we're the on the right track. Go ahead. Yeah. The comment I have on that is twofold. The first one is an observation about Bitcoin people versus oil and gas people. The second one is a comment about yeah. um, how oil and gas is a bimodal distribution of ages. And so the more older people, more experienced people, we should say, retire and leave the industry. Yes, I see your white beard. <laughs> Tim, you're the, not more, the more young people, uh, less experienced people like myself, who are really enthusiastic and understand these things. And for example, those kids you were talking to at School of Mines, everything is going to shift a lot faster because of that rate of that bimodal distribution changing to a unimodal distribution. I think that we're going to see an acceleration of technology that is unprecedented. Oil and gas has always been really good about adopting new technologies as long as they're not, um, shall we say, ESG related. It's fine. <laughs> I, was, I was just about to transition to that because to me, and we, we've had a rash of of ESG related guests lately. Yes. And we, we really do like to bring up the energy transition and ESG. To me, your biggest pitch beyond if you're into cryptocurrency is getting closer to net zero emissions, right? You're basically taking flared gas that was going to go into the environment. Wasted, yes. Wasted mm-hmm. gas. Wasted energy. Mm-hmm. And, and making better use of it. To me, this is actually one of the most glaring examples. So do you think that that Kind of like a of, battery. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah kind exactly. Of. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's it's really interesting to me because it is a very ESG pitch, despite the fact that it is very much just taking your oil and gas and doing something with it. But it's such yeah, a good yeah. example. And of course, the majors want to get into it, especially if Bitcoin's yeah. 65K, For which sure. I think the last time I checked, it was. This morning. Um, so, so talk about that. Like from, you know, you're talking to various different investors. I'm guessing mm-hmm. some of those investors are on the coast. Does yeah. the ESG piece create a similar amount of interest to Bitcoin or is it just not as sexy? You know, what's interesting is that there has been a lot of uh, press about Bitcoin actually being really bad 
for ESG, right? That's using true. using energy uh, for reasons it's not. I mean, I won't get on my high horse about ERCOT and about how mining on grid in Texas is probably not awesome, but also it helps stabilize the grid because as long as you can turn it. <clears throat> anyway, complicated. That's a total sidebar, but. ESG has been, it has been helpful for me being in oil and gas to be able to talk about the ESG component of Bitcoin. I, you know, personally, I always say, wouldn't you rather have a big old hippie from Boulder drilling your wells and understanding that and actually making an effort to fix it than somebody (laughs) who doesn't care about the environment? And it's like, I'm just out here dumping, you know, oil on the ground, which doesn't happen anymore. But you know, there's there's a component of like, I've been thinking about ESG and the oil patch for, I don't know, my entire career and probably before that. And the Bitcoin thing does help. It helps a lot. What I am a little bit more concerned about is the lack of um, uh, gender representation in Bitcoin. It's worse than it is in oil and gas, which is saying something wow. because, wow. yeah, it's bad. So, but it's also hard. I mean, it's like, I have friends who... Boulder girls who I talk to all the time, they're my best friends. They don't understand what Bitcoin is. And they're just starting to figure out how, you know, economics work, for example. And when they call me, they ask me what I do. One of them, my very best friend was like, I just don't know what to tell people when they ask me what you do anymore. And I'm like, oh, God, neither do I. (laughs) Welcome welcome to the club. Exactly. Like, oh, man. Well, (laughs) I talk a lot. (laughs) (laughs) You just say I'm an investor. I'm an investor. I'm an investor in our future. <laughs> so it is interesting, though. The ESG thing is huge. I, you know, as a, as a female in oil and gas and now Bitcoin, I think it's really important for us to have representation, too. And the more people that I can orange pill, so to speak, the better, because that means that we have more people thinking about it and coming up with more creative, better answers for the future. So one of the, I mean, obviously the ESG thing is great to get use out of what have been would have been useless gas. Mm-hmm. I kind of also like the idea of being able to generate electricity closer mm-hmm. to the source of the battery, yep. which is our reservoir, mm-hmm. and yeah. then being able to distribute it as I have control. If I'm, you mentioned WPX, your first, your first place. If I'm mm-hmm. WPX, if they're around and I've got my own electricity generation, I could decide, well, you know what, today it makes more sense for me to actually use it in my field yep. or uh, put it onto the grid. Or, a lot of mines are hooked up to the grid. Right. Yeah. And then the other part that I find, you know, potentially is- interesting is actually having off grid electricity generation that yeah. you're putting it out, you're mining yeah. somewhere. And if you could tie it in with satellite connection, which I know you mentioned Crusoe earlier, they're trying to do that, mm-hmm. get some lower ring satellites and actually have internet mm-hmm. connections out there. Yeah. It's just interesting to be able to have. And and once you've got these local places to do the capture of the emissions that are coming off of those generators mm-hmm. in small centralized locations, and you're in the field where you can put the emissions right back in the ground, there's some interesting capabilities there. I think two two additional things, maybe three additional things are important here. The first one is the use of potentially putting things like um, solar panels on top of your mines, Right. We should be using solar a lot more in in the oil patch, frankly. Secondly, we need better batteries. Like, I don't care how many Bitcoin you produce. That's great. But like we produce all this freaking energy and it just goes away. Somebody needs to come up with a better battery that we can pop out there and I can either charge my battery up for winter or whatever. Or 
you know, go mine Bitcoin. I, I the battery thing. I just really get on the problem with batteries, though. And here we go. Laura's thinking down the geology path. Rare earth mining. Oh. It's not good. And so, you know, my PR gal, for example, she drives a Tesla and I gave her unending shit about it. I felt really bad because she thought she was being all like, you know, virtue signaling and all this shit. I was just like, <laughs> you realize how bad <laughs> this is from a number one carbon footprint perspective and number two human perspective. Do you know who goes and mines rare earth minerals? Like this is not good. And people lack awareness. I always say oil and gas has had a PR problem for a long time. We have to continue to produce oil and gas. It's not going to go away. That's we right. Well, there's, there's, always, Laura, there's, there's always a buyer, right? So it's the yeah. only industry in the world where you say marketing and yeah. to them, it's actually sales. No, marketing everywhere else is not sales, right? It's creating yeah. a brand. It's making it's, the PR look good. It's the smiley, you know, yeah. pretty, you know, executives that are forward thinking mm-hmm. and green. It's, you know, mm-hmm. th- that is not what oil and gas has done, which yeah. is, which is unfortunate to me. It's the worst branded industry in the history of the world, but yeah. there's always going to be a demand for the product, or at least that's how it's been. So mm-hmm. why do we need to change that, that image? Like I, I know the social and fundamental reasons why, and, and now right. there's financial pressures to do so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's just, that's part of what oil and gas is. And, and you said something that was really, really interesting. First of all, mm-hmm. oil and gas is, is mostly men, but mm-hmm. you want to go back to the crew of, of sort of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, blockchain mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. I think that it's the same people that went from online poker to daily fantasy sports to then cryptocurrency and staying a little bit ahead of the curve, right? Before yeah. all the fish come in and lose all their money. Totally. Those are all men. That's mm-hmm. that's a hundred percent men. What I just yeah, described. that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is was that a, very true. I mean, I, I, I let's go a little social on this. What is that a commentary on? Is that a commentary on risk taking? Is there some? Yeah. Is it just the people who are willing to stand on the cliff and just jump off of it? Is that just twenty five year old men are more willing to do that than other people? Or what? Yes. Why? Why do you think that is, Laura? I ask you. Honestly. My my experience. So. You know, I'm from Boulder. All my besties are real hardcore feminists. I work in potentially the shittiest, (laughs) shittiest industry for feminism that there is. Um, And they always ask, they're like, why didn't you hire when you worked at Century? Why didn't you hire more women? And why did you leave Anadarko to go private equity? Well, I am an idiot and will jump off a cliff right? Like I am a geologist. My risk tolerance is stupid high. Like (laughs) I'm an anomaly. Most female geoscientists are not as risk tolerant as I am. That's probably why I'm a halfway decent exploration geologist, but like I can tolerate a lot of risk in my life and I've built it such that I can continue to tolerate that risk. Most females are more risk averse, I think in general. And some of that comes from like, when you have a baby, you want to continue to take care of the baby. It's just a little harder to like make a big jump like I've done. And then a second bigger jump into basically the startup world. Like it's hard to recruit people who are, you know, a lot of these women are super, super smart, super high performing, but they need that level of stability that a larger company tends to provide, not necessarily all the time. But I think that then in general too, every time there's a big downturn and you lose, like look at the eighties, we lost however many percent of females in the oil and gas industry, the same thing's happening right now. Like I talked to my other lady friends who are at 
major oil companies and stuff like that, the numbers are dwindling and they won't come back after price recovers. They just go away and they don't come back because it's kind of a crappy industry to work in. One of my roommates from grad school, she is a petroleum engineer and she worked in the industry for a long time. Very, very well respected, um, really wonderful human, worked for um, a couple major oil companies. And right before, well, I guess right after 2017, she bailed. She went back to med school at the age of 37 because she couldn't handle the oil and gas industry anymore. She said, I hate feeling like this every day. I hate that nobody listens to me. I hate that I'm always worried about my job. And she said, I just, I want something that's more stable and that I know I have more control over. So yeah, I think it's a, and then, then you add the crypto thing in and yes, it's just a bunch of young guys. I mean, I talked to a guy the other day, he's working at a restaurant making, you know, minimum wage, but he's worth six, you know, he's, he makes six figures a year because he's, swing trading fucking you know doge and ethereum and shiba and i like what an interesting thing to have happening in the world where these people i mean he was probably 28 year old guy right okay he's got enough income that he can go and make a hundred thousand plus dollars a year just by messing around on whatever um, Coinbase or Robinhood or whatever. Isn't that it's fascinating? It's such an interesting world we're living in. But yeah, it's all about risk and like what your personal tolerance for risk is. Man, if I'm that bad, I'm choosing a different minimum paying job than working in a restaurant. To, uh, <laughs> he had, but he has all days free. Yeah. Right? So yeah. He, can trade, he can trade all day. And the, and the yeah. beauty of the, the crypto market too is that it's always yeah, it's happening. Like, so I always check it on like holiday weekends when oh, the yeah. stock exchange is closed and it always goes up because mm-hmm. I just think you've got bored day traders that are like, all right, well, let's let's jack this thing up a little bit and, and mm-hmm. see where it can go. Uh, and yeah. you get people like Elon Musk talking about it. No, I mean, there, there's this whole, you oh, know, Tim, it's, it's a little bit cultish, but you've got like the Dogecoin thing. I mean, oh, yeah. what, it went from like 0.00001 to like 27 cents. And mm-hmm. that that type of thousand, you know, million percent growth is is unheard of. You literally can't find investments like that anywhere else. Right. It's it's super interesting. So I don't know. I think we live in a, a totally different world than we did even last year at this time. You know, Absolutely. I now follow I've gotten into Twitter, which is terrible. It's like crack. I really need to get off of it, but I really like it. The worst. <laughs> so it's so bad. So I follow Elon, of course, on Twitter and man, that guy. Wow. Mm-hmm. Y'all see what he tweeted this weekend. I was just like, <laughs> Shall I take down the entire stock exchange myself? Oh. Basically. Cause he has billions of dollars in options that he has to make a decision on. Right. Yep. And it's going to trigger some level of tax event that he's yep. not happy about and it could really cause some damage. So he's like kind of threatening the SEC a little bit. It's very, say, very he's, interesting. He's also making the market move by not doing anything other than just saying, should I make the market move? Oh that's yeah. Amazing. I mean, that's the think about the power that that singular human has. It's really interesting. Are you going to choose to do good or evil with it? Mm. Yeah. No. And I, who's to decide what good and evil even is anymore? I mean, that's the part that I'm like, hmm, maybe, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. That's why if you're Jeff Bezos, you're just like, forget it. I'm done. I'm just going to get in fights with Leonardo DiCaprio or whatever. Because if you're on, tw- of course, because you're on Twitter, you're hooked. It's like crack. You got to keep getting. Give me more. Give me more. So I want to go. I want to go into energy funders a little bit. So they hit my radar when Jake Corley, uh, one of our last guests, his little brother was at energy funders maybe three years ago. 
Gary, uh-huh. yeah. And I remember him telling me sort of what the concept was. I'm like, this this makes sense, right? You're mm-hmm. like you said, sort of democratize the ability to invest in something that you couldn't invest in before. Mm-hmm. So h- how did you find them? How did they find you? And um, mm-hmm. how did you end up as the CEO? I don't know. Just kidding. <laughs> I, I clearly tricked someone. <laughs> I'm not sure who it was in my life that I tricked, but I've definitely tricked some people. Um, no, that's a joke, obviously. I Energy Funders was purchased last year by a group called um, uh, Paleo Resources. It's a publicly owned entity um, traded on the Toronto Stock Exchange. And those guys, the two kind of primary stock owners in that company, um, have been my friends for probably three or four years. Um, they have a private oil company as well. They tried to sell us some stuff. We tried to buy some stuff from them and the chalk. Like I've kind of known loosely about them for quite some time. And then what's the best part of this story is it's a, it's a pretty funny story. So I'll, I'll take the time to tell you. Um, one of my best friends from Colorado, her little brother is a landman, and her little brother is really good friends with our principal's son. And so everybody was in town for NAEP one year when I was running Century. And um, I get this text from Michael, who's the my best friend's little brother. And he says, hey, I met these guys. They, I know these guys. I told them about what you just did because I had raised some, you know, quite a bit of capital from a private equity backer and was doing this exploration thing. And he was like, hey, they want to meet you. And I said, okay, I mean, it's NAEP. Whatever you want to do, we can get together. That's fine. So there's all these texts late night. They come over to the office the, on Friday morning after NAEP. And being who I am, I, they walked in and I said, who wants a dose of keys? I can tell you're hungover already. <laughs> now, Friday after NAEP is never the easiest wake up. Friday after NAEP. What? So they come in. We start to, to shoot the shit. They were very curious about me, as a lot of people are. I'm a young female geologist who, you know, I've run an oil company now and now I'm running energy funders and they were just curious like how did you get here who are you why are you here also how are you from Boulder like what is this so it's pretty interesting so I got to know them pretty well at that point and then yeah we just started this relationship and last year when they were purchased we had a couple conversations about you know what would it take to get me over there and eventually what happened at Century was you know we had a lot of federal acreage so with the administration change, there were some problems, et cetera, et cetera. And the timing just felt right. Um, two of my former business partners from Century again left to go start J Energy. And so it was, there were five of us total. And I just was like, you know, this just doesn't feel right to stay here anymore. They were going to have to go into more of a development mode too. And like I said, I'm a builder. I'm an explorationist. I like to go do things that, you know, are some people might say crazy and risky. So they called in, I guess, February or March of this year and said, hey, we need somebody to come over. Um, you know, we've wanted you to come over for a while. Are you ready? And I said, yeah, now seems like a better time. So I made the jump. I think my first week was May. Yeah, I think I started on May 1st. So I've been at Energy Funders for about six months now. Um, I was brought in because of my experience in oil and gas um, and the fact that I've evaluated tons and tons of deals at this point in my career. Um, and so instead of the, the company used to be more wildcat well focused and they would raise money to go buy working interest in one well at a time. But wildcats are inherently risky, especially if you don't necessarily have anyone on staff who is an engineer or geologist to evaluate them. So we've done two things. One, we've staffed up with very experienced oil and gas people. And two, 
we're doing things in more of a mutual fund type of style where instead of buying into one well at a time, we're buying into a cadre of wells. So you're decreasing your downside risk effectively. You may not have as much upside potential because you're not drilling these, you know, potentially three to one wildcat wells. But ostensibly, if you have a geologist and an engineer on staff who are pretty good, you know, I don't want to brag, but halfway decent at our jobs, then you should be able to see some of that upside in addition to protecting your downside. So the models changed a little bit and now we're changing again. You know, I brought the idea of bringing the Bitcoin mines in, doing the off-grid thing. So we've got that as a component of it too. And it, it works the same way. We're just basically buying working interests in these Bitcoin mines. So I'm kind of straddling roles right now too, because I'm helping on the operations side for the, you know, the private company building out the Bitcoin mines and also organizing all this stuff in-house to make sure that energy funders gets to get little pieces of what we want to get pieces of. So it's been fun. I've met a lot of people. Um, it's a crazy world. I would say that geologists, if they're good, are halfway decent at sales <laughs> because you're selling something <laughs> people literally cannot see and you're having to explain it. And it's, it's pretty hard, but you know, it's a little easier for me to explain geology and dumb that down than it is to explain Bitcoin and dumb that down just because everybody's new in Bitcoin right now. Right. So it's, it's been really fun and interesting. And I think that the company we've, we've actually had quite a bit of success this fall. I'm really excited for us and, and really, really happy with my team. I mean, I can't speak more highly of the team that we've built. It's a really incredible group of individuals, very, um, Gosh, like Island of Misfit Toys kind of a situation over here. <laughs> but everybody's great. We're all sort of have alternative career paths and we all get along really well. And it's been it's been really good. And I think you said earlier in this conversation, one of the kind of one of the future steps is to go. Mm -hmm. So normal everyday layman with mm -hmm. the ability to invest in energy yep. funders as opposed That's to being plan. a credit investor. That's the next one of the next steps for you then. We have a couple next steps. The next big step that we're taking, and I believe, I mean, I'm, what is today? It's November. We are going to start a Bitcoin only fund really soon, potentially in the next couple of days. So that's a big deal for us. So, yeah, we're going to have well, our oil and gas fund. It should be there. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to have our oil and gas fund and then we're going to have a Bitcoin fund. And we are going to start a Wildcat fund again, which... I love, of course, I'm like all about that. I'm a riverboat gambler, but we've had a lot of demand for it. I've been really surprised. You know, I think that there's all this tax advantage stuff to intangible drilling costs and all that in oil and gas that I never really understood until I got here. And we've had a lot of people say, I just want the IDCs and I want you to go drill wildcat wells because if I could hit a 4X, I want that also. So it's been interesting. So we've got several projects like on the very near horizon we're about to roll out and then we'll do a reggae fund next year. And I'm hopeful that we'll eventually do not necessarily an alternative, not a green fund, but more of an alternative um, energies fund where we, my whole goal is to support like oil field cleanup and hydrogen stuff and other things besides like wind and solar, but still relating to oil and gas, but like helping us be a little bit more ESG focused. So it's fun. The whole point is to, you know, kind of remove the middleman, make our investors as much money as possible. And, you know, I've had a really good time doing it so far. So, and I feel lucky too, you know, I've got a really good support system. Our parent company is, they let me kind of, um, be me, which is to say kind of all over the place. And 
I've never had a group of people support my like random crazy ideas as much as these guys do. So, you know, being able to come in and say, I want to put Bitcoin mines on these gas wells. It took me a couple months to convince our principals that this was a good Mm -hmm. idea. But once I got these, you know, models over to him, they said, oh, my God, this is total no brainer. We had to vet everything. And what's special about it is that I find a lot of at these meetups and all these events that we're going to, there's a lot of people who are on the Bitcoin side, for example, that a lot of the Chinese miners who have left China because China shut down Bitcoin mining checks it. So there's a lot of Chinese people who think that Bitcoin is the most important thing. And all our oil and gas people think that oil and gas is the most important thing. And what it ultimately comes down to is who owns the fuel source. Because if you don't have a place to go put your Bitcoin mine, then what are you doing? You need oil and gas. And so there's been this sort of like standoff between the two groups. And there's a lot of people talking about it. Like you said, there's a ton of buzz around it right now, but very few people are actually executing. And I feel so lucky to have this group of people who was just like, all right, we're putting all our efforts into it. Go. I thought it was going to be done a little sooner than it ended up being, but you know, it takes oh, time so to do all these things. Yeah. Startup life, startup life. Well, it, it, this is fascinating. And, and I think there's, there's a lot more we could, we could dive into, but we're at about 48 minutes and, and I know you've got investors beating down your door. That's why we had to push this call, which shout heads up to anybody else coming on this podcast. Don't, don't you, you tell your investors to wait, you do podcast first podcast priority investors can get pushed now, but seriously, Laura, you're doing awesome stuff. But when I met you, I think you just left in a darko, but it was very obvious to me that, that you're a geologist with entrepreneurial chops. So seeing you put this all together and increase your, your LinkedIn and, and online presence is fantastic. Yeah, I see it. I see it. I see it out there. Um, where, where can people find you and, and find your company? Um, sure. and, and sort of like, what's your lasting thought? Yeah. Yeah. I, first of all, really appreciate you guys taking the time to chat with me today. Um, it's been, it's been fun and it's fun to kind of watch how you've been doing. I, I love this industry. I love all the people in it, even though there's always challenges, but, um, you can find me at, I'm Laura Palmer on LinkedIn. I'm, I can't remember what my Twitter is Laura Palmfid probably. Um, and then yeah, Laura at energyfunders.com and then energy funders is just energyfunders.com. We've done a whole rebrand. The website's gorgeous now. I'm all about it. So we went green for money and oil. <laughs> so yeah, you can find us, uh, check out the, the yield fund that we're raising now and then keep your eyes peeled for a couple new funds coming out real soon. Energy funders doing big things, Laura. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, thanks for coming on. No problem. Appreciate it.